and I thought, I don't think I am ever going to fit into this corporate world. I think I am a round peg and these are all square holes. There's lots and lots of people that can fill corporate jobs, but Mm. a lot of feedback that I do get from interviews like that when I have tried in the past is you're too creative or we don't think you'd work within the structures of our team. Fine, I'll go my own way. When it comes to your career, there really is no one formula for success. And if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today, I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the My Career Story Podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith, and this week's guest, Ben Peachy. Hello. Hello, how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Um, I've been better, I've been worse, if I'm completely honest. Um, But I have very much been looking forward to this interview to brighten up my days. Um, So let's get on with introducing you, shall we? So Ben is um, a writer, content creator, LGBTQIA activist, and soon-to-be author. They uplift and educate through media with their website, benpeachy.com, the Happy Place podcast and legendary Instagram stories. Ben, take the floor and tell us all about your career story. My career story. Lots of different things all at once. And there was like, there was no sit down meeting at the start of all of this. And I was, you know, I never planned to be all of these different things. I just never said no to things, which is why I'm where I am today which sounds really, um, if you're looking for concrete advice and a journey and destination, I'm not the one for that. This is more about what happens when you fall into a career. If Does that make amazing. sense? That's amazing. And that's exactly why I set this podcast up. So take us through your journey. Um, I was one of those people that at school, I remember um, when I was 17, my friend was talking to me about open days. And I was like, open days? What's that? <laughs> I didn't go to any open days, like no idea. And I was like, university, right, I should do that. That sounds like something I should do. So I panicked, applied to drama, I got places. And then when the places came in on my UCAS form, I was like, do you know what? No, I'm not doing that. And I didn't, and I withdrew. And so I left school at 18, um, trained to be a nail technician. Yes, I know, weird career progression. Did that for 10 months and realized that uh, the beauty world is vile. I'm sure there's some lovely people out there, but where I worked was terrifying. It was just a combination of of being um, a small fish in a a pond with lots of scary bigger fish, but also it not being the right fit for me. I think I'd fallen into something that I enjoyed, but I didn't want to make a job out of it. So Mm -hmm. I left that and carried on working in retail, which I'd done at the same time as working in beauty. And I got to my 20s and I was 20 and I thought, is this it? Is this all I'm going to do? And I think when you work in retail, you see people that have done it for 30 years and they're very, very happy, but they're still kind of doing the same thing. And they're still, 
you know, that's a life, but it, it wasn't what I wanted. And I thought, well, how can I, how can I sort this out for myself? So I took evening classes at a local college. I did photography and Photoshop 10 weeks and it was the best thing I've ever done. It was three hours a night every week. And I use those skills today still. And once I finished that, I sort of thought, well, what now? And I thought, well, let's look at university again. And I'd already had a strong feeling that I loved fashion and I really, you know, it was something that I wanted to con continue with. But at that time, we're looking at 2013, 2014, it still really wasn't okay to be part of the queer community. You know, exploring what you felt that you enjoyed was still forbidden. But I was a grown up, I was 21. So I thought, you know what, no one can tell me anything. And I looked through loads and loads and loads of prospectuses, maybe 25, 30, found five or six universities, went to the open days, crossed ones off my list that I didn't like. You know, I had to get like a multitude of family members to help me do it because it was, what, how do I get there? How do I, you know, go and see it? It was really interesting. And I found unis that I loved. And then it was, you need a portfolio. And I was like, um, a portfolio? I didn't do art at GCSE. I didn't do anything creative. I was like, uh, I failed biology A-levels. Um, you know, I scraped a psychology A-level. What am I supposed to do? They were like, make it work. So in six months, I created a fashion communication portfolio. I roped in friends to do shoots with me. I created editorials. I wrote articles and I created these massive sketchbooks to go along with it. I'd never done something just because I wanted to before in my life and it was fab. And I went to my interviews and I got every single place I applied for. And that was the catalyst. Once I got to uni, you just absorb all those other people's identities. You can sort of rewrite your journey, rewrite your story. It's not lying, but also those kids don't need to know that you were bullied from age 10 to 16. You don't need to yeah. tell them that narrative because that takes your power away. Yeah. And once I got to uni, it was when Brexit happened. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> God, Brexit. And it, that was a real start wake up call for me because I was really quite vocal about it. And I was really quite active about we really should remain. We really, you know, what we have right now is really good. As Kylie said, or, or Sonia at Eurovision, better the devil you know. Um, but it didn't work out that way. And, you know, I realised that no one would ever do anything for me unless you are a cis white wealthy man. The world is not your oyster. It's just a shit few pearls in a corner and you have to fight for those too. And I thought no one is ever going to do anything for me. So I was like, do you know what? I'm going to invest the little student loan I had left. And I started my website. I bought my domain for three years. You know, I didn't do anything by half. Um, I'm lucky because my name is uh, unique. Peachy is, no, there's, there's one other me in the world and he is big in Sydney, but not in the UK. So my domain's quite cheap, so I'm quite lucky. And I started a fashion blog. And from there, I just did it twice a week twice a week whilst doing a full-time degree I, who did I think I was I don't do twice a week now I, I, can you believe and then I saw an advert on Facebook for a digital publication that wanted people to cover fashion week and all you had to do was write an article and send a couple of lines about you and they'll get back to you and I thought well there's nothing to lose so I did it and I got it and I started in my second year of uni covering Fashion Week for a digital publication, sitting front row because the PR loved it. And it was really great. And I built loads and loads of relationships. Six months down the line, 
they give me fashion editor role. I'm just about to go on my third year of uni. I'm a digital fashion editor doing front row at Fashion Week, sitting next to, you know, members of Girls Aloud, sitting next to David Hasselhoff's daughter. Like, the the duality of that. And it's because I didn't say no. I didn't think that I couldn't. And Fashion Week was one of those things that taught me a lot because you network instantly. You always have to be nice. If you want to get on, you have to professionally line because Mm -hmm. you've got to please the PR you've got to please the people that make the money and that was a real baptism of fire and from there because I was writing a lot I was able to leverage a writing career I landed articles with Cosmopolitan I've written with The Guardian with Refinery29 and I never asked for it by the way I'm really really dyslexic writing's not (laughs) I'm not very good at it (laughs) in the the strict are you good at writing kind of thing? Like it doesn't come easy to me, but I love doing it. So it's something that I work on and have worked Mm. on. And I just started that. And then I left uni. I tried to get proper jobs. Like I had a really promising interview with, do you remember Trini and Susanna? Yes. One of them, Trini, the the taller, posher of the two. She has um, Mm -hmm. a beauty company and I applied for a job at her company. Got really far and then in the final interview, they were like, do you use our products? I was like, no, I didn't get the job. (laughs) (laughs) You ever go to an interview where they make products and they ask you if you use them, say yes. You say yes. Every day, I think they're fabulous. (laughs) Just Google it and be like, what can I do with one of your products? And just tell them that you do because odds on that will make it better that you'll get the job. I didn't do that and you know I learned my lesson and I thought I don't think I am ever going to fit into this corporate world I think I am a round peg and these are all square holes there's lots and lots of people that can fill corporate jobs but Mm. a lot of feedback that I do get from interviews like that when I have tried in the past is you're too creative or we don't think you'd work within the structures of our team fine I'll go my own way and from then I just started to write for whoever would pay me I would pitch all the time and I'm here. The pandemic has been terrible for the world, but brilliant for my career because (laughs) now businesses don't need you to be in London. They don't need you to be where they need you. You can do it from your bedroom. And that's what I've been doing for 18 months, really professionally. Like I'm quite, I'm, I'm now at the point where I have to turn stuff down because I'm just too busy. And, um, that's where I am right now which is Mm -hmm. ridiculous and it's a pinch me moment to sit here and go that was my journey that's what I'm doing now and now I I don't write as much as I used to I find myself more creating interesting narratives through video through audio through campaigns with brands I also do a bit of modeling which is ridiculous it's it's very very exciting and I think it's also I think I did everything at the right time or just before because we're in a a really interesting social structure right now where brands realise that they have power but they also need to do right by the people that have got them there. So they need people to come in and help them understand and learn. And that's what I do as a diversity expert. I come in and I sort of, I break down what LGBTQ plus means right from the basic. We go through the letters all the way through to the difference between gender, sex and sexuality. Like it's really interesting and exciting to see different corporate levels taking on teaching and learning. So I've run sessions with the NSPCC. I've had meetings with agencies that run accounts with Unilever. Like it's just a lot of different things and it's exciting. 
Sorry, I didn't give you a chance to button that at all or take a breath. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to run over again in more detail? Do let me know. <laughs> I mean, this is I mean, you. You always bring a smile to my face, Ben. And you, know, you um, I first um, heard about you after I heard you on um, Queer Talk with Spencer and ah. Mussine, um, and Mussine's on this, this season of the pod as well. Um, and um, I just remember starting to following and just seeing all the content that you were putting out. And now, having heard your story there, like. I was convinced that you've been doing this for about 10 years. <laughs> so, I mean, so how, you're obvi- I mean, obviously you're a very creative person just from that story out there. And there's a couple of things that I would challenge you on. I heard you saying like, kind of like, that you got a proper job after you graduated. Like, so those jobs that you were doing whilst you were at uni, why, how did you deem them as not being proper? Because to me, that's like as about as, high as you can get in one of the most competitive industries in the world. I really struggle with imposter syndrome and I really struggle with my confidence, um, Mm. which I know might be ridiculous if you see my content online, but I find it really hard to accept that I'm good at stuff. That really is because of my anxiety and I really struggle every day, you know, sitting down Mm. at my desk going, I can do this. And I, it's just not something that I am good at. And I, because I was, because I was given the most, I was doing something. It's almost weird because we see that narrative where, you know, in films and TV, someone applies for that amazing job, they get it and their life is instantly better. Whereas I went round it in a slightly different way, said, could I? And they went, yeah, go on then if you want to. And things evolved. There was never that cut and dry moment where I was given I evolved into roles. And I think that gentle progression is why things don't feel as they look on the outside, you know, because you're with it every day. So you don't feel that drastic change. I am aware that it sounds very exciting, um, but a lot of editorial roles within the fashion industry, you do not make a penny at all. Or if you do, you have to do stuff you don't like doing. So when I was a fashion editor, I made my money by being a staff writer behind the scenes, writing seven to 10 articles a week, scheduling all the social media, booking meetings, taking PR calls. That's how I made my money. The fashion editor title was just that, a title. And it got me privileges and perks. Um, But there's always stuff that goes along with it that you don't want to do as much. And it, I think the term proper job is me going against what is still expected of me in family circles because I'm not taken seriously by those around me because I don't have a pension scheme, because I don't have um, a line manager, because I don't have a team. It's suddenly not seen in the way that other jobs are. I could be in a corporate job that bores me to tears, but for some people that would be more important than running 18 different projects, which I am doing right now and making decent money doing it. it. There's a lot of dialogue in, in how we treat freelancers, how we treat people who define their own career path. It's a confusing conversation and probably one that I haven't even worked out how I feel about yet. Yeah, no, I don't think I have either. I think I've had that. I've had a, a good 10 year stint within a corporate environment and then gone and spent the last three years working for myself. and. 
it is completely different. It's very liberating. Um, it does give you that ability to pick and choose once you get to that point where you can actually be doing that. There are points along the way that I'd be interested kind of to hear about from you of kind of maybe when you might have done work because you needed to do work. Um, and also as well, what I've seen um, you post about recently on your Instagram channel around the, um, the value of the work that you do and being asked to work for free. Yeah. Do you have any anything that you want to share on that? Um, yeah, it, it's tough when you freelance and when you open up those floodgates of work. Uh, certainly, even now, there's a fear in your head that goes, "What if it all falls around me tomorrow? What What am I going to do?" So you say yes all the time. You have to take jobs you don't want to do. Obviously, that's none of my clients that I currently work with. But <laughs> there is stuff that is less fulfilling. There is stuff that, you know, I find difficult. I take on corporate work because it it feels like I give back, but it, it it's not as fulfilling as pure creative work. But the financial systems in place are stronger and that is helpful. I would give this piece of advice and I think I heard this from sensational actress and artist Lucy Liu, which is you need fuck off money, which is where you earn lots and lots and lots and lots of money as savings or security or structure. And that doesn't have to be millions or thousands. Enough that you feel comfortable that if, if a, work, a month of work didn't come, you'd still be okay. So that when those people come along with jobs you don't want to do, you can just go, fuck off, I don't need you. And it's how do you get to that place? So it's balancing stuff that you love versus stuff that you don't love with budgets that make it easier to do the stuff that you do love which is difficult but mm. being freelance is tough and I guess we don't talk about I really struggle with the fact that there's no one here but me and I don't have anyone to help me and if I wake up on you know a Thursday morning and I can't get out of bed there's no one to cover my desk. There's no one to cover my emails. And all those ideas, thoughts and feelings come from in here, in my head. And I, it's how you can cope when you can't cope. And that I'm finding difficult. And so saying yes to some bolstering career work means that you can be a bit freer in that sense. But it's not always possible. You know, it's a, it's a really tough game. And you constantly have to adapt to changes you know to thoughts and feelings it's it's a really tough game and I think we have somehow glamorized the idea of being freelance versus corporate but it's not for everyone and I would say for people that you know they would like more freedom in their life but they know they couldn't live without the structures that someone else employing you gives think about reducing hours at your corporate or your secure job to maybe three four days a week and do freelance in a shorter amount of time. That balance is a great way to go into it. Do that for two or three years. And then once you've got that client, go for it. Having done it myself and having lost, you know, secure work and like at the start of the pandemic, I lost all of my clients. I lost all of my secure work through one reason or another. And that was terrifying. I didn't earn money from February to May last year. That was a big amount of time. I didn't have an income. That is terrifying. Unless you know that you could cope in that situation, you wouldn't force yourself into it. So find ways to bring that in if you know that you couldn't cope with the fear of not knowing, if that makes yeah. sense. 
Uh, it does make sense and it speaks to a lot to my to my own experience. I had projects that disappeared overnight last year. I had to seriously sit down at one point over the summer and go, right, well, the tenancy on this place that I live in in London is up for renewal. Like, can I realistically justify signing a 12-month contract for a property now, knowing that I've only got one day of work a, a week um, at the moment, and I don't really know what the future holds at the moment. And that informed part of the you know, decision for me to to move to leave London and move back home as well. And uh, there is an element, yeah, exactly, that there is um, there is an element when you work for yourself, I suppose, that you take that on board and you know that you're, a lot of my friends that see the work that I'm doing use the word brave a lot of the time. And I fully appreciate that word. Yeah. And I, and I take it on board and I'm grateful when they recognise the effort that I'm going to. But it's it was a choice that I made. I don't regret it, but it, it's kind of when you take on a corporate role or a full-time role, you kind of take on, for me, from my opinion, I kind of say that you, you almost accept that you're going to give away some of your power to somebody else. Yeah. And that's part of the value exchange. Yeah. And it's the other way around. You kind of you empower yourself when you decide to work for yourself. But I would maybe argue that the last 12 months, probably 18 months, let's face it, by the time this is all passed, um, your it will sadly probably will lose a lot of creative people that are working as freelancers, but it will show the people that were were suit better suited to working in a freelance environment. Yeah. It absolutely will show, you know, what needs to change in the work landscape and what I think we've proved. The pandemic has shown that freelancers are more adaptable, that they're able to work in, you know, really challenging circumstances because, you know, we've already been out here pre-pandemic struggling with childcare, with, you know, all the logistics of working from home. And so we were in the right place to adapt. And we've also shown that, you know, we're resilient. And in terms of the creative industries as well, you know, without freelancers, where would your entertainment have been for the last 12 months? Because we were the ones that brands went straight to, to go, we need you to carry on creating content for us. We need you to do this for us. We need you, you know, to model from home. And it has placed a lot more value. And I hope that we're in a position to go, okay, Perhaps how we were working before was a little bit toxic. Let's continue to be throwing things out to people because we value them. And I hope that this is a long enough lesson for them to go, yeah, I think we should do that. And I, but you know, the world will always surprise us. And, you know, I'm sure we'll go back to how it was before, not too long, but <laughs> I live in hope. So do I. So going back to the um, the piece of work, piece of work that you do, educating companies about our amazing community. Tell me about some of the positive things that have come out of those uh, interactions and conversations and some of the less positive things, if you can. The positive is that you are in a safe space. So I would go into those spaces and say, no question is stupid. No question is off limit. I'm here to answer and help you learn. So you're not going to offend me. There is no offence. And that's a really great way to get questions that they've been too scared to ask or they thought they couldn't ask but because I'm there and I'm saying I'm here to help you let's get that it's allowing some really fab discourse to come about and I'm hoping that they're taking away some learning the negative is that you go and do these hour two hour sessions 
And then you see those companies continuing to make the same mistakes, continuing to enforce the same kind of structures that they have been placing, because you realize no matter how much you want to change what your company does, it's always someone lower down the food chain that has organized that event. And the people at the top, CEOs, they don't come to those sessions. They don't watch the Zoom recordings when it gets emailed. And they don't care. And that's difficult. You have to remember that we are still a token option. We are still not mainstream enough for anyone to take a real serious listen to us. So until we make serious money for these companies, they're not going to do anything about it. And that's the negative. And that's really, really frustrating. But continually showing up for our community, continually doing this work and taking these people's money, they will see the seriousness of it and they will begin to make these adjustments. Will we see that in our lifetime? I don't know. I hope so. I don't think so. I'd, sadly, I think I'd have to agree with you there yeah. as well. Yeah. So let's go to some of the um, pre-prepared questions that I sent over you. So one of them that I'm asking guests this season is, if your career story were the title of a book, what would it be? I thought about this. I thought about this long and hard. And I would like to quote the lyrical stylings of Miss Whitney Houston, rest (laughs) in peace. And I would title my career story, It's Not Right, But It's Okay. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that a lot of my career is leveraging trauma for a paycheck, which is not right, but it's fine. It's okay. Because it's almost like the system really mistreated me through through my childhood, my young adulthood. And now I'm turning that on the head and going, now you're going to pay me for it to explain why we don't want that to happen again. And it's really, I don't, and this is going to sound really ungrateful. I don't want to be doing this job. Like if, if I'm truly honest, why would anyone want to drag up trauma, drag up their issues and their problems? But if I don't do it in the way that I do it, I won't reach those people and I won't make that change. I don't, I hope in 20 years that I'm not having to do this. And I'm, I really hope that the need for me will be lesser because as generations grow up, the impact that the way our society, the patriarchy and you know hegemonic bias has on people will lessen. And that will only lessen if I do the work right now. And if someone in 10 years does that work that I did again. So it's not right. It's okay. It's fine for now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to make it anyway. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, On your channel, I'm intrigued. Um, When you're um, going through, you do things like, so you talk about books that you're reading. I can see a bookcase behind you. I'm always a a lover of people that have got bookcases in the background and actually read the books from them. They're real books. Uh, They're cracked. uh, They've been used. Amazing. Um, So when um, you're talking about things, I've heard you say, I love you lots, like jelly tops. How did you come up with that? And why, why, why are jelly tots so integral? I have no idea. <laughs> just happened. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a, a social and emotional sponge. I pick up stuff all the time. And it's just something that I started saying. And I find it really easy because you. I have to come up with a lot of ideas a lot. I uh, currently post 
four different stories a week. I write one blog post a week. I also have content ideas that run throughout as well. It's a lot of ideas. And without a framework for ideas to sit in, it's really impossible to generate constant. So having a framework of how to start something, how to end something allows you to bookend it so that you've got a point to get to. So having that closing, I love a lot of that jelly tarts, is a really easy way of just saying, I'm done now. This is, you understand that I've come to a close and I have no idea where it came from, but I do like jelly tarts. Um, they're not very good for you, um, but in small doses, they make days brighter. No idea where it came from, to be honest. I wish I did, but great ideas do just creep up on you like that. Oh, I love it. Um, so I'm going to ask you um, another question that I've asked people in advance just to wrap things up today, Ben. And I say, what would be the career advice that you would give people that are listening? Oh, that's a tough one. But first of all, there is no one size fits all career advice. Um, it can feel really difficult starting journeys or making changes because you see everyone around you and they all seem to have it all figured out and it's like how can I jump from that to this how can I make these change nobody has it figured out we are all terrified of different things and I I do enjoy risk and I do enjoy you know trying new things and look as long as you have a roof over your head and enough income to feed and clothe you and keep your happiness levels at a point, it's okay. You know, it's okay to try new things. And I think people get stuck. They're like, I can't change what I'm doing now because I've, I've spent too long. Of course you can. If you're not happy, change it. So that would be my first point. You know, there's nothing to stop you doing what you want to do. Number two, don't be afraid to know your limitations. You know, we see people, you know, like both of us going out there doing freelance stuff, having content all over the place. If that's not what you want to do, don't do it. I think sometimes we feel like we have to do more. And I would give you an example of when these platforms come out, like um, Clubhouse or Telegraph, I feel like I have to go and sign up and I have to start using it straight away. That's not me. And I, I don't want to use those apps and I'm not going to use those apps. So I'm not going to do that don't feel that you have to do something because other people are doing it and third of all you define success for some people that is 100k a year a pension two cars and a holiday home for me that's having Thursday afternoons off because no one can tell me I have to work or you know if it gets to half past three on a Friday and I go I'm gonna watch two episodes of Charm now because you can't tell me I can't because I'll probably you know work Saturday morning Define what success looks like for you and work towards that. It's not the same as everyone else. And I think that is great advice. Probably if you sit and listen to it three times, you'll get more from it and it'll be less garbled. But yeah. It wasn't garbled at all. It was great <laughs> advice. <Good. laughs> oh, well, listen, thank you so much for your time today, Ben. I've loved learning more about you as well. Um, having um, just kind of stumbled on you in your career in the last couple of months. Um, and I've got a few things that I'm probably going to be having conversations with you about after this as well. So look out for those. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I, if that's one thing that this pandemic has done, we're all more open to learning and looking at what other people are doing. And because we can do everything by Zoom, things are more possible. So thank you for sharing what you do with the world because it will help so many people. So thank you.
Oh, I've got the warm and fuzzies now. I'm going to be skipping, skipping downstairs for my cup of coffee through the house. My parents are going to be like, what the hell? <laughs> right. And thank you to you, my lovely listeners, for joining again for another episode. We'll be back uh, next week, same time. Um, thanks. Do subscribe. Do leave a review. It really is helping to raise the profile of the podcast.